Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, August 10th, 2023. And two weeks have passed. That means we're back with Mayor Rick Blangiardi. And Mayor, it's been a very somber week. Here on our own Fosse grounds is the Nagasaki Peace Bell. Correct. What made this year's remembrance ceremony so special for you? Well, it was the 78th commemoration, and we had Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. And there were two, you know, just beautiful events uh, at both locations. And, you know, the people that were there, the comments that were made, the solemnity of it, the seriousness of it, especially in today's world. Um, and, of course, you know, of late we've had Ukraine and all that's happening there. It's a harsh reminder that despite man's evolution, if you will, in all the wonders of the modern world we live in, that, you know, man's inhumanity to man uh, and what goes on in wars and, and people dying and the fact that it lasts for so many different generations um, it's just, just for this year here is a powerful reminder and as I said at both events you know I was born in September of 46 a little bit more than a year after the end of World War II my father fought in the war my uncles did and just about every adult I met as a juvenile young kid growing up did and you know in that era in the 50s you know they talked a lot about World War II and how it shaped them because they were all boys when they went off to war mm -hmm. And, and so it really had a lot of impressions on me. And then at the age of 18, I moved to Hawaii, and here we have all those reminders of those painful chapters, if you will, I mean, most notably Pearl Harbor, but it's just, you know, with Punchbowl and everything else that we have here. And so it's always been something in my mind, the significance of that war, the significance of the generation who fought that war, because those were, those were the people who raised me, not just my dad. So when you come to a moment like this, it's, it's more than just saying it's the 70th anniversary. It, it, it's, it's sort of symbiotic for me on a personal level with my own life and the impressions I've had and the emotions I've had about this subject. So it's been, a, it's been an emotional week. And it's been, a, it's been a tragic week on Oahu roadways. Oh, yeah. as, as the mayor, that's, that's got to be hard news to digest. Well, it is. I mean, you know, we, we need people to be aware when they're driving, you know, and... Uh, and to, for somebody to be fixing a tire or fixing their car and, and get hit is, you know, it's dangerous enough to be out there, but, you know, nobody goes on the road to have something like that happen to them. And if they have to attend to their car like that, I mean, I think all of us just have to be completely aware uh, when we're driving out there. It's just, look, I, I don't know the exact pace of things, uh, but last year, I believe we had 50 vehicular um, deaths and um, almost one a week and I think we're ahead of that pace this year by a little bit uh, and it's not it's not a race and it's not anything you know I wish the number would be a lot lower but I, I think we're actually the way things are going right now could possibly be higher number than that and that's if you stop and think about it 50 people dying on our roads in a given year is just you know tragic and so um, I know the national numbers are staggering, and there's been a lot of speeding lately here. People just have to be more aware because speed kills. I don't want to sound cliche, but that's so true. Accidents happen, and, um, and lives get changed forever. You know, I, uh, not to get off on any tangent, but just last weekend, I went to two different funeral services in addition to having the Nagasaki and Hiroshima this, Hiroshima this week. Um, and, and both of those were men much younger than me. One of them was my former player, Alex Colloy, and then, of course, our colleague, Daryl Green. Daryl Young, rather, I'm sorry. And, um, 
you know, you you think about these things. You know, you, you think about your own mortality. And so, you know, we're alive and we're doing well. People need to take their time and 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 because um, death is not only so final. And you may die alone, but a lot of people die with you when they do, and that's the point I'm making. You know, a lot of people. You know, we just got to be really careful because a lot of a lot of a lot of people get affected. What's unfortunate is this is happening during the month of August yep. when so many people are telling drivers to be more attentive for Pedestrian Safety Month. Right. You handed out a pair of proclamations in regards to pedestrian safety. We what did. was your message? Well, my message there was pretty much the same thing we're saying is, you know, be aware, be, you know, um, be careful about our pedestrians. You know, it's a big responsibility to get behind the wheel of a car. And, you know, and you don't want to be intoxicated or high on anything either. It's all the same thing because it impairs your driving. But even if somebody's not drinking and even if they're not and they haven't been taking drugs, it's the lack of awareness, you know, whether it's text messaging or being distracted or not really paying attention or really understanding that you're driving around in something that can easily kill somebody if 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 you were to hit someone, you know, or even for that matter, even hurt yourself. So I just think it's a wake up call every time you get behind the wheel of a car, you you got to recognize that, and for that amount of time, give it your full attention. It's um, the texting thing really bothers me too. I, I I would tell you that it's hard to see somebody in a car if you can't tell if they're high or if they've been drunk some obviously late at night or some you might see somebody weaving in a car you could tell somebody and i've seen that we've all seen that on roads you wonder if they're drunk you know and and you can see that but what what drives you crazy is what i see more often than i'd like to see which is people going down the street with a cell phone texting uh you see a lot of that and i don't have the authority to pull anybody over but but boy just asking for it under those circumstances and and really people gotta be smarter than that and look i i live on my iphone i'm tempted to but not when you're behind the wheel of a car just last week the honolulu liquor commission named a new administrator yeah in south patilos uh your support for sal was shared in that letter that the commissioners received what what do you like about him what do you expect out of him he's well he's a very even even tempered man and he has a lot of good experience and he initially came to us wanting to just serve on the commission, given his background, um, because he's sort of as much retired in life. But he came to Hawaii with a purpose in his family, and, he, and he's, he's been successful, smart, reasonable. and um, But he could operate at that level. And we actually, when we first met him, suggested that, and he thought that nah, was a it was a little bit more than he, what he was looking mm-hmm. for. He wanted to, but as it turned around, he listened to us, as he got his, his better understanding of the dynamics at play, understood the challenge, the responsibility. He said, "Okay, I'll do that." I was really grateful for that because, uh, you know, he's a guy who wants to make a difference living in Hawaii, which is why he moved here. He brings us some great experience. He's got his family here and. And now he's put himself into a job. Is I called him yesterday on, or Monday on his first day of the job, and um, just to wish him well or whatever. But we threw him into the deep end of the pool. There's no doubt. We got a lot of work to do with the liquor commission. On your Ask the Mayor radio show, you mentioned an upcoming meeting with Senator Brian Schatz. Are you able to share about that meeting? What was discussed? Was inter- yeah, I will be happy to share about that. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, was a three-hour meeting, and we had uh, by invitation. You know all the top people from the state side, um, including the governor, and and myself. And our, I brought um, Denise 
uh, Isir Matsubara and, and, and Craig Hashimoto with me um, to uh, Greg Craig Harai. Oh, boy, I, that's the second name I've gotten wrong today in this thing. I'm sorry. It's that kind of a week, Brandy. I've just been talking about you know, Greg Harai. You know, and and uh, it was really about um, magic word collaboration. I mean, you know, it's it's and, and for what Senator Schatz could bring from the federal side, he had uh, he had a U.S. senator from California uh, speak with us, talked about what they've been able to do in San Francisco um, and some of the rules that they changed, what they've been able to do on their homeless front. But more than anything, it was kind of bringing us all around the table, saying, you know, we have this incredible housing shortage. And that's been talked about for a long time, and now is the hour. We really have to be doing something about it. You've got a new administration with Governor Green's team, an emergency proclamation, an out-migration of 1% of our population a year, seven straight years. Everybody identifies housing as a key part of that exodus. Uh, and what are we going to do about it? I mean, it's, I would tell you right now, other than fixing DPP, it is constantly on my mind. I mean, it's just, you know... What can we do to make happen? And we are doing a lot, and I'm getting excited about it. But, you know, the one thing about housing is not like fixing a pothole in the roll road. You you've, you know, it takes time to do this stuff. But we're doing everything we possibly can to, you know, trigger uh, projects and housing units um, to get created. One of the districts where there, that was spotlighted was in Chinatown. And your annual Chinatown cleanup with your cabinet is coming up. What kind of tangible changes, improvements can you talk about in that district? Well, you know, Chinatown continues to slowly improve. We're, we're, we're doing well on, um, we're doing better. Uh, well, we're doing better on the crime scene. We've done much better on the homeless scene. Um, a lot more work to still be done. I think what I'm really excited about is of recent, we just finally got our cameras, our security cameras installed, and they're at five intersections. These are really high-level cameras. They actually are multi-directional. I think, can, I think in an intersection, it has five different vantage points. Mm -hmm. It also is something that if you see something, you can actually yell, and the camera will pick up the audio. You could talk, so for another way to say it, you could talk to the camera, and your voice would be heard if something was going on. Uh, it has some light fixtures to the blue lights that we've seen around in different places to kind of signal to anybody out there that, you know, there's a, an eye in the sky. Um, I'll feel better when all 52 are in. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're having conversations right now on the continued um, maintenance of downtown. I am encouraged by some of the restaurants and what's happening and the energy down there, some new restaurants coming in. So I, I, overall, it's okay. We're, I, you know, I have such a high expectations of what we need to do there that um, I feel good about where we are. I'm not, I don't want to sound negative at all. It's just we got a lot more work to do. That's all. And I, I don't want anybody to think that we're letting up on that. I am encouraged, though. We just at Holly Viola this past week and saw it looks like it's get, really getting ready for occupancy. So we're going to activate that building. It's a senior affordable housing unit. One of the first things we got done after we came into office after many, many years of a promise to build affordable housing down there. So that will help with the Riverwalk. We have plans for the Riverwalk. We are going to begin, I think, probably this year with planning. But I want to see us clean that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just there's just a lot to do there, but the vi the the feedback I'm getting from people who have been down there has been really positive. People say, "Wow, you know, it's 
it's clean and wow we got community pride and why but there's just so much <laughs> there's just so much more to do so it's I, I don't look at the glass half empty believe me i'm not like that i just know we got a lot more to do that's i don't know how else to say it and i want to get it done and then we're going to feel like we're really on top of it when we get to that point you and i could talk about it but right now i feel pretty good we're making good progress but what uh we, we need to get the ball further down the field Looking at the calendar, we're also approaching the one-year mark since some major announcements were made in Waikiki with safe and sound added yeah. security. Um, any updates there? Well, I've seen later? the reports coming out of Waikiki. You know, I, I'm, I'm hearing that uh, on the hotel side, despite the challenges we're having right now with tourism, especially the lack of return of our Japanese visitors, uh, I'm hearing that short-term vacation rentals are down. I saw an article in Pacific Businesses, some mm-hmm. 54%. I, I saw another report that was done by the hotel uh, where I think uh, homelessness is down 40-some-odd percent. We still have a criminal element down there that I have really um, I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's not a lot of people. It's probably in the 30s or so. These are chronic um career criminals they have rap sheets with misdemeanors and arrests of some in the case of a number of them in the hundreds they're a nuisance uh we're not able to put them away long term they violate uh, geographic restrictions after they've been to court and stuff you know it's that's part of the reason why we've got our private security on there but now on the other side of that because of our private security and an increased presence by hbd i've been hearing unsolicited from hotel operators they can see the difference. And I've heard from a couple of the really prominent guys who were probably a couple of the more critical people before about the lack of enforcement that they really love what they see. So again, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like Chinatown in a way, and in, in that um, this is an area that we designated uh, because of the high concentration of people and people visiting there working there, living there, in both cases, same thing, right? You've got the same kind of concentrations, and unfortunately those kinds of concentrations attract that criminal element because of what it affords them. So we're dealing with those issues, but I, I think we've we've cleaned up a bunch of that, um, but there's a lot more still to do. I wanna get to a question submitted by one of our listeners. This was sent in by Tammy, and Tammy says, it seems anyone can start a neighborhood watch program but the wrong gated community tried to start one in Makaha last year. The Makaha Beach Cabanas called an off-duty officer to help in what they say was a hate crime on February 1st of last year, um, and what Tammy says ended up in a false arrest of a resident um, that Tammy says never broke a rule. So I'm not familiar with this situation. No. Um, that's but, all the details, but what I guess what kind of advice could we give to Tammy here on how to rectify or maybe well, if it was a questions. false arrest, and I don't know what the outcome has been of that, and I don't know how that possibly happened. You know, it usually takes something to get arrested. It's not like you're sitting around, somebody walks up and go, you're under arrest. You know, so the, there must have been something more to it than that. But that said, I do like the community watch programs, especially the rural areas where we have a hard enough time um, covering, mm-hmm. you know. And so Makaha is one of those areas out there on the whole west side, Nanakuli, Wai'anae. Uh, we've been out, even in Mililani, we've been out there encouraging uh, neighborhood watches, and uh, that was a focus of a town hall meeting that we went to recently, um, and I was really impressed with their community watch people. In fact, they were terrific, the people who showed up. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, that pride in the neighborhood, that concern, that care, 
wanting to overcome the fear versus being passive of saying, look what, you know, it's not going to happen where we live. I think that's a good thing. So I'm sorry somebody, there was a false arrest of some kind, um, but we've said, especially now in light of the fact we've had a pronounced and announced shortage of police officers, help us help you, and people who are out there doing that, it makes a difference, and it is a deterrent. And I will tell you, some of the people that we've met, because we've gone out to meet them, there's some, there's some tough hombres in this deal, mm-hmm. and people aren't going to fool around, and, and I, I like that, because I don't think people who live in neighborhoods or anywhere, for that matter, should feel terrified or victimized by anybody, and that's the thing that I hate most about these career types, is they think they have a license to be able to do that, and, and, you know, and they're not going to suffer the consequence, and uh, honestly, uh, that's not the way it should be. And, and so I'm, I'm hard on that, and I would be harder on that if I was a sentencing judge, to be honest with you, when you look at some of these things that happen. And, you know, I'm going to be really candid here. We've been sued by the ACLU recently. On, it has more to do with the disruption in our homeless population. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have a moral obligation to a big majority of people to keep the streets safe. Uh, and that, you know, so whether you're talking about breaking up homeless encampments while we try to find places to put them and we're trying to do things humanely, or whether, whether we're talking about arresting the bad guys because they're coming in and they're terrorizing people or they're just robbing stuff and whatever and thinking they have any license to do that, I'm not in favor of that stuff. And I've said over and over again, I, I think we even put it in there. I can get criticized for a lot of things, and I'll take the criticism every day at the lengths we're going to to try to make people feel safe because that's job one. That's job one. Uh, and with this place that we're all blessed to live in, the last thing anybody needs to feel is unsafe. And I know people who have felt unsafe, and it's always painful to listen to that and to the reasons why. When we look at our beaches and the safety at our oceans, a new lifeguard tower just opened Electric Beach. First tower in, in quite some time. Yeah. What went into making this a priority now? Well, I think initially, you know, um, there was a drowning out there. Uh, but I think, you know, we're trying to expand our lifeguards. Uh, I've said repeatedly, uh, if our ocean safety are not the best watermen in the world, men and women, uh, I don't know who comes in ahead of them because the Hawaiian waters are world famous, right? And we know that. And the things that they get engaged in when you think about saving somebody's life uh, when they're in the water is pretty treacherous stuff. You know, if somebody's out there in trouble uh, in the kinds of wave action, currents, et cetera, that they've got to deal with, and yet they do and they risk their own lives constantly, right? And for that matter, the work that they do that's sort of ahead of it, you know, the kind of, they'll tell you they save more lives in parking lots than they do in the ocean, which mm-hmm. I, I believe, you know, they'll go out there and look at people and they could tell they're not really skilled swimmers going to someplace like Sandy's or whatever and say, do you really know what you're going into, mm-hmm. you know, and they tell them to go to a safer beach, stuff like that. So I think, look, I think anything that we can do to expand our towers and the various beaches where we know maybe there's, we should have that kind of protection is what's going on. I'm really pleased we got a new uh, lifeguard tower out there, but I think it was triggered by an unfortunate event. And, and again, in the spirit of safety, as you said, you know, we want people to go, especially here, enjoy our beaches and, you know, and be able to go home that day after they've been there. And hopefully if something were to happen to them somehow, some way, there's somebody there to help save their life. And lifeguard towers are now included in the new online mapping system. 
um, created yeah. by your Department of Parks and Recreation. Yeah, you were on job. hand. Yep. As we revealed that, why is something like that important? Well, I remember hearing John Titchen, who heads up our ocean safety group, talk about the fact that um, it really keeps people informed on where they can go. It also, you know, is really good for the ocean safety guys to communicate. It's just another good form of communication about what's happening where, and so people can be in the know. And just, you know, more information like that is better versus so many times people don't know. They go somewhere, they're unknowing, it's not there. So this is what this is designed to do is to tell people where it's safe to go. I don't know how else to say it. It's pretty, pretty straightforward and hoping that they'll adhere to that because you go, if you're not that good a swimmer and you go to one of these beaches and there's nobody there and you get out on the water, I mean, think about that. And they think, well, they're on their Hawaiian vacation and they're out there and it's paradise and it's beautiful and the water's warm and the sun's shining and you can die, okay? And, and so this is about trying to have people understand where they can go uh, to be safe and have somebody watching out for them. Recently, the Small Business Administration and your own Office of Economic Revitalization signed a co-sponsorship agreement. What will that do? Well, ho hopefully, um, it'll do a lot. You know, our Office of Economic Revitalization is really key right now in this post-COVID environment at trying to stimulate all kinds of all kinds of financial activity, all kinds of growth, all kinds of employment opportunities. You know, we're doing good jobs Hawaii. We're doing grant money, distributions. We've got the good food program going on. There's just a whole lot of stuff. And so we've kind of unleashed this department into say, be a playmaker. You know, we're trying to we're trying to make things happen in the community. Let's get as much federal money, no matter what the size is, let's get it handed out to people. Let's incentivize urban farmers. Let's incent you know, anything that we can do to help stimulate. That's what it is, economic revitalization, and actually have an active role in that. Actually assist people with different resources, sometimes in some cases maybe just consulting, but also sponsoring things together, holding people accountable, establishing you know benchmark, all that kind of stuff. I, I want that to be a dimension of the city's operation, and Amy Asselby and her team are doing a really solid job that way. The Honolulu Youth Commission is beginning another year. New terms for yeah. a lot a lot of them, and you had a handful of picks this time around. What are your expectations for these new commissioners? Well, first they come to the meetings, they pay attention, they contribute, and they, and they also recognize the fact that they've been given an extraordinary privilege and opportunity. And I think all these young people know that. I, I was really inspired and not only reading their resumes, but as we, we interviewed some of the people and made the selections, uh, I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged by young people who have a heart, who are passionate about where they live, who want to make a difference in their lives, are looking to get their formal education You know, a after this. One or two are already in college, a lot of them are in high school. Mm -hmm. But to be at their age, for all the cynical comments I hear about kids today, <laughs> if you will, uh, it's inspiring to see these young people understand you know um there's a big role out there in government they like to be a part of it and 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 make a difference for the better and so i find it refreshing you know uh i'd rather talk to those young people like that with all of that aspiration in them than sometimes some people you get around you know they've been they've been in the saddle a little too long you know and I just referenced half glass half empty half full you know the the half empty guys drive me crazy you know um, you know, th that negativity that kind of gets in. These kids are anything, I don't say kids in a pejorative way, 
but they're young people. They're anything but that. They're like, hey, you know, let's 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 go on to the new horizon. So we're going to challenge them. My biggest concern is making sure we challenge them enough because I think they're really capable. Um, and and I think a lot of good's going to come out of it. And so far, one year into it, having talked to some of the ones that um, finished up and going off to school now in college, a couple of them, um, it was really gratifying. They got a lot out of it. They were proud of what they did. They were proud of the people they went, they did it with. They just added a whole different dimension to what their prior experiences were. And that's what we're looking to do, you know, just – because uh, you never know. One of those people could be in this office someday, you know, or what they may go do. And I, 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 I like that in working with young people. You never know in that intervention, in that moment, that nexus, if you will, of what they come up against and how it might influence them and really redirect and, and, and reshape their lives in, in, the, in the course they take. So it's a big responsibility on our end to make sure we deliver the goods. Uh, it's a big challenge on their end to live up to it. Yeah, big challenge on their end. And mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of them are still in high school, which means that this week and next week, the next few weeks are big for them because they're going back to school. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember the getting the kids out the door, the drop-offs, the pickups, or the drop-offs at school, remembering you forgot something at home, oh, and then helping me? with yeah. homework? And <laughs> I did, yeah. That's the joy of raising kids is that stuff alone. I mean, most parents, yeah, I remember that. I. I actually thought you were going to ask me, do I remember as a kid going back to school, which I actually still can, you know. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but I can, I can remember that. No, I, yeah, that's, you know, I think uh, the start of the school year is always really exciting for kids. You know, over the course of the summer, I've asked a few kids, and when you meet them, and they're sons and daughters of, you know, people, and you'll ask them what grade they're in or what they're going and they're looking for. They, they are. They, they, it's, it's like, you know, kids today in this world are all, and hopefully they don't want to grow up too fast. I always tell kids, just be a kid, you know. Uh, but, you know, they get excited about that. And, and uh, of course, the schools today are such incredible social environments for everybody. And so I think uh, I think good for them. It's a lot of fun, you know, to, at this stage of your life. As a young kid, and they don't know what they don't know yet, but they're going to go back to school and be with their friends and do all the kind of social things and just go through that kind of, uh, that human development, if you will, it's very, very nice. And then knowing what you know, yeah. on the other end, what's your advice for their parents as we head back to school for this next school year? Don't forget to be parents, okay? They're not your buddies, okay? That's what I, <laughs> yeah? Be parents. I, I, I would tell you, I, I see sometimes some kids really confused about uh, where, the, where the lines of authority are. Uh, so I'm old school that way. You are. Uh, but yeah, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, love them. You can't spoil them through love. Can't love them enough. But you gotta, you gotta be the father and the mother figure there when the time counts. They need that. We all have needed that growing up. It's part of the human experience. Some talented 14-year-olds. A girls' soccer ah. team, FC Hawaii 09. Um, yeah. yeah. They got to come visit you because they were, I guess for the first time ever for this Hawaii group, National champions. Yes. What was your message to them? The big deal. Well, pride, you know, respect. Um, challenging them to realize what they were capable of achieving and recognizing that. And don't let this be the last championship that they ever win. That, uh, you know, they uh, have, you know, learned a lot in what they've done. Um, were really uh, ins ins inspirational because honestly, you know, you've been a competitor yourself. Championships are hard enough to win. Mm -hmm. National championships are, when you get to that level, 
and all the things in, in the road to get there and the work that's gone into it, the sacrifice, and then the ability to rise to the occasion in the moments in those games when you had to in order to win. I mean, it's not easily done. So a national championship is something to be very, very proud of. By the same token, I watched the U.S. Women's Team of the World Cup mm-hmm. go out in the first round, yeah. albeit by the slimmest of margins and a series of things and whatever. They just couldn't get going. But you, you could see in that the agony of defeat, you know. And, um, and, and so nothing is guaranteed. So you fight for everything you can, and then you take it, and you take it all the way to a national championship. Yeah. That's special. That, and that'll last, I can promise you. I, I was fortunate enough to be captain of a state championship um, high school football team. And, and that, I, I honestly think back in that, that year, and that was in 1963. Graduated high school in 64. It was the fall of 63. If I do my math, since this is 23, what is that, 60 years ago? 60 years ago. And that influenced me. 60 years ago and changed the course of my life in a lot, a lot of ways, that experience. Mayor, if you were a betting man, Hmm. where would you put your money on the next year a national champion football team comes out of the (laughs) Pac-12? Yeah, Stanford, or yeah, <laughs> Oregon State, or Wazoo. Look, there some pretty good programs over for that matter. Look, I, I've been. It's been, it's been unnerving to What's watch a hundred, a hundred plus year institution, venerable. I mean, I've, you know, I, after high school, all of my life in football has always been on West Coast oriented, right? Between here and Hawaii, and coaching in Hawaii, living here all these many years, the Pac-12, knowing so many kids that have gone to all of those schools. You know, I even lived in Seattle for a few short years and really got a really good experience of what it was like to be in a hometown of a... I lived in L.A. too for six years. Uh, and all that stuff that goes with that. Um, to see the Pac-12 lose eight schools uh, in, in, in such a sense of free fall and just unable to, given, given the institution that it was, hold it together... Is, is, I, I'm still I'm still not over it. It was it was shocking. I can't remember the last time in the world of college sports I felt this shocked. But it's also changed the dynamics because what's happened now with the presidents, you know, fighting for their schools and carving out their own destinies mm-hmm. and these realignments and about the money and the money that's being paid. Heck, the Big Ten deal alone is a seven billion dollar year over seven years. That's seven. That's a billion dollars a year. And that's not even talking about playoff money. Um, you know, in this era here today with NIL, I mean, really, uh, in, 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 in the transfer portal, so the kids are all paid athletes, unrestricted free agents, and everybody's playing for the television dollars, competing for the television dollars, competing for what those platforms will expose, uh, give them in the way of exposure to help them further perpetuate through recruiting, all of that. Mm-hmm. These are massive changes in the game of college football. And they've all been happening right before our eyes quickly. And so uh, it's very different, very different, and going to be very different on a going forward basis, how we used to, you know, enjoy the rivalries. and no, for sure. You know, and um, it's, um, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's life-changing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really still in disbelief because you know you would think you try to hold certain things uh, in the world of college sports, you know, with respect to tradition mm-hmm. and uh, levels of excellence and 
all of that that um, has made these institutions what they are. And, and it's like everything has been a free-for-all. I don't know. I, and it's still not over. It is not over. There's more to happen. I, I'm concerned about what may may not happen to UH. I don't think you can just sit there innocently and think you're bulletproof. Uh, we'll see. I think there's more What to do you happen. think happens? Because that's probably I someone's don't, natural I, question. Well, I could speculate. There's all kinds of things. I mean, look, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think the Mount West is is sacred ground. In fact, I know for a fact, according to their charter, that if nine schools were to vote uh, their existing members, mm-hmm. uh, that they could actually disband it. There would be no financial penalties, and you'd have schools eligible to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would take nine, and who knows? I mean, there's a lot of talk about even the, the ACC, which is one of the great Power Five conference, if they were to lose Florida State and mm-hmm. lose Clemson, which is a lot of talk because they're being wooed, not unlike SC and UCLA were to leave that conference. What would be left of that conference? A great basketball conference, but, you know, with football, very right. different. Uh, and, and, you know, remember, the Mount West happened after the whack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a relatively new conference. And, um, and I would think that the aspirations of those teams in the Mountain West, I'm saying it from this vantage point, also sense the same thing that we see here. And look, Fresno just built a $250 million stadium. San Diego State, a brand new stadium. A lot of people from this place have gone up there to look at what they just did. These guys have big time thoughts too. They go and they want, and they know the power of alignments. They're not gonna stay where they are if they don't have to, if there's a viable option. And, and there's a lot of people out there trying to figure out the next couple of moves. And I think there are a couple, next couple of moves. Just don't know what they're gonna be. But boy, this is, un, this is unbelievable. And, and I, I, here we are in Hawaii right now, really in a deficit model with the stadium situation being what it is and the uncertainty. Um, and, you know, and we've not had good records over the last several many years. We recognize we're a small television market. Um, you know, uh, and this is certainly not a reflection on Timmy Chang. Is mm-hmm. uh, you know, is I don't mean that on him at all. It's just the real, the reality of it. And you know, how do we fight for a seat at the table, uh, holding knowing full well that we're in a conference for football only and not all sports, mm-hmm. just football. And quite candidly, the fallback position of staying in the Big West, and and if we were to lose the Mount West status in football somehow, some way, if whatever, I, I don't even know what that looks like, mm-hmm. even in the way of fan interest. So there's a, really a lot at stake, and and um, don't think I'm overreacting to it. I'm really deeply concerned about it. I, I just, you know, I, I can only watch. I don't, I'm, I'm gonna stay in my lane. Uh, I don't have a voice in this, other than as a fan maybe. Uh, but also as the mayor of the city, I have a real concern too, because that has a lot to do with uh, the success of UH athletic programs have a lot to do with the uh, happiness factor in the city mm-hmm. when things are going well, right? And the pride and all that good stuff. So vicariously in it or whatever. But I, I just know one thing. These guys that are running these schools are very aggressive. And, 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 and if you're going to stay up there, you've got to be just like that. And I'm, I'm just hoping that the people in power are acting that way. Well, Mayor, I know your time is valuable. So thank you for your time. And this is the One Oahu Podcast. So yeah. for one final thought. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to wax it a little bit on in this week of uncertainty about, uh, about you know, 
the status of conference alignments to college football. Look, I my message right now, and I said it a couple of times, whether it was Chinatown or, or Waikiki, I'm proud of our team. We're working really hard. We're taking on all the tough stuff. It can't happen fast enough for any of us. You know, we're the ones with a sense of urgency. Uh, we're trying to make things happen. I just want people to understand that, appreciate that. We're going to get there. We're not going to let up on it. It's not there yet. Um, but let's all work together and, um, and let's focus on the positive. There's much to be grateful for. There's much to be proud of. And we live in one of the best cities of the world. Mayor, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll listen in next week as we sit down with the new director for the city's Department of Enterprise Services, Dita Hollyfield. And if you have a question for Director Hollyfield, you can submit your questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. Until next time, aloha. Aloha.